Those of you who have been following us on Sunday morning know that we have been going through the book of Acts. And uh, I want to uh, refer you to the passages which show us the, uh, what we believe to be the end uh, of the earthly life of the blessed Apostle Paul. Before I, I uh, proceed to show this from Scripture, let me plug the family night supper tonight at 5 o'clock. Many of you have been watching on television the horrible scenes of what's taking place in Ethiopia. Here in uh, our own college and community, uh, we have a young man named Tespalam who has uh, people in that area. Uh, we need to be praying for God to show those who have means of getting into that place uh, with relief food how to get there. And then there are other places in the world too. And so tonight, the program at the 5 o'clock Convocation Hall Supper uh, will relate to the hunger program, and I commend it to your attention. Now then, let me point out where we had gotten to in the book of Acts. We had come to chapter 28, and so to Rome. This is the final chapter in the book of Acts. At verse 16, we see the we passage, which means that the writer of the book of Acts, Luke, is with Paul. And when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. And it happened that after three days he called together those who were the leading men of the Jews, and when they had come together he began to say to them, oh, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you, that is, these Jewish leaders in Rome, and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of of the hope of Israel. And they said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are concerning this sect. It is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. And when they had set a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. And some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. Quote, The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah, the prophet to your fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, 
and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn again, and I should heal them. Let it be known to you, therefore, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him and preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. Now I've added in the bulletin uh, two corollary passages of scripture that will describe something that occurred after that two two-year period in Rome. Let us pray. O God, our Father, we rejoice that we have the opportunity to return back to Thee a portion of that which You have entrusted for our use. Help us to know that every single thing that we have and are belongs to You, that every breath we breathe is just another prolonged miracle. Help us to use our life, our time, our talent, our money, more wisely and better so that we may bring honor to you. Supervise these gifts, we pray, to the goal that they may bring honor to the name of Jesus Christ and salvation to many people and help to many that are in need. And now make the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts to be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Thank you. I hope that uh, in the course of time that you have become interested in the book of Acts and will start to uh, read it and to study it and to mark it and to see how the Holy Spirit works and how the plan and purposes of God unfolds. It's remarkable to me that Paul did not write those words which are so familiar to us in times of trouble. You remember the words, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are the called according to his purpose. I can remember my mother quoting those words in the, in the bleakest days of the Depression in the 1930s out in Texas and taking comfort from them. Well, Paul wrote those words to the church in Rome. He wrote the, actually those words from the city of Corinth where he was carrying out a tremendous ministry. But he was writing to Rome. For always in his mind there was the eye of a strategist. And his eye was on that great city of Rome. And the fact that he wanted to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in that city too. And the Holy Spirit had borne testimony to that fact uh, to him. When he had been arrested in Jerusalem uh, because the Jews had created a turmoil and had almost uh, rioted and put him to death, Jesus came to him in a vision and told him that he would bear a testimony for him in the city of Rome. When he was on that ship and it was wrecked at sea, the angel of God came to him and said to him, You will bear a testimony for me at Rome. And so the sovereignty of God, that means his ruling power, was working together for good 
to accomplish his purpose and would accomplish his purpose. And we must never forget that when we go through the storms and the trials of life, that God will work his own purposes out and that he will accomplish his own good ends. And so here we come to this 16th verse of the 28th chapter, which I read a moment ago. And so we entered Rome. I've often thought of the emotion that must have come into Paul's uh, mind and heart as he looked at that city, as he caught a glimpse of it for the first time. I can still remember the first time that I ever saw Rome. Dr. Lee Sechrist, our dean, uh, used to fly for Pan American World Airways, and he flew those big uh, super constellations. And I remember riding in an old propeller-driven, we thought it was the greatest thing on earth then, Super Connie. And we were going into to Rome, and the pilot called out that we were approaching the eternal city of Rome, and he made the mistake of saying, turn and look at St. Paul's Cathedral <laughs> instead of St. Peter's Cathedral. Well, I remember every, he corrected himself, but, but everyone's head switched around on the airplane, and all of us tried to strain out the windows and look. Well, when Paul went to Rome, it was not as a tourist. He came into Rome as a prisoner, having appealed to Nero, a politician who makes even some of ours look positively enlightened and brilliant. Uh, uh, he came into Rome having appealed to Nero and knowing that he would stand trial there. We read that when he had gone into this city, that this soldier who was guarding him, and I've often thought of those soldiers, and what a great privilege it would to be to have a six-hour guard duty shift with Paul. To be chained for him with six hours would be better than any seminary. And uh, here, this soldier, uh, one of the centurions, must have been greatly impressed by the demonstrated leadership of Paul during the time at sea when they were in the storm. And uh, I'm sure that he told the other key figures in the Roman uh, guard, the imperial guard that was there in Rome, was divided up into 14 districts, uh, 14 precincts. And uh, the Praetorian guard was the guard that uh, kept uh, watch over the emperor. And uh, to have the military behind you was critical to any Roman emperor. And this, these elite military people were there. And I'm sure that this centurion had told the other centurion into whose custody Paul would be uh, remanded that this man had saved their lives at sea and that there was something different about him from any other man that he had ever seen that he was no rapist, he was no murderer, he was no thief, that there was something different about him that all people ought to look at and listen to. I'm sure that you couldn't be the same after being around a person so strong in the Lord as Paul. It happened that after three days, after he'd been in Rome three days, he called together those who were the leading men of the Jews, he follows his usual procedure. He knows that Jesus, the Messiah, is the fulfiller of all of the Old Testament prophets, prophecies concerning the Messiah. And so he calls together the leading people of the Jews and wishes to bear a testimony to them about faith in Jesus Christ. 
he had written to the Roman Christians some years before. And when they had come together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. The Romans wanted to release him. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any accusation against my nation. And for this reason, therefore, I requested to see you. He asked these Jews to come together so that he might bear a testimony to them about faith in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, have you ever witnessed to a Jew about faith in Jesus? Did you know that a Jew cannot be saved without Jesus as his Messiah? Have you ever even prayed for a Jew to know Jesus as his Messiah? Long years ago when I became a Christian, I saw some dear Christians who made it a special responsibility of theirs to bear a testimony to Jewish people that they might be completed Jews and know Jesus as Messiah. And they taught me to always be loving and respectful to Jewish people, to learn their customs, to remember how they had been oppressed, and to watch for my opportunity to show them the love of Jesus. We need to be careful about that. Paul bears his testimony. He is a Jew, and he bears a testimony to these Jewish people there. And then he, he refers to this chain which he wears for the sake of the hope of Israel. The hope of Israel. What's the hope of Israel today? That little piece of land out there about to blow up like a powder keg that we're always seeing on the news day after day after day. What's the hope? The hope is laid up in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Messiah. These Jews said, we didn't receive letters from Judea concerning you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are. And so they set a day for him, and they came to it him at his lodging in large numbers. Get the picture, a large number of Jews coming together to Paul, who has a rented house, and who is under house arrest, and has a Roman soldier with him. And to these, he begins to solemnly testify about the kingdom of God. What does that phrase mean to you? When you pray, thy kingdom come, what does that mean? It means the reign of Christ, the reign of God's Messiah over you. And so he speaks to these Jews about the kingdom of God trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses. He shows them how God had made a covenant with Abraham giving them identity with these Jewish people, how God had shown through the deliverance that Moses had wrought a redemptive aspect, how God had shown through the prophets that Jesus was the Messiah. He brings all of these strains of truth together, and he says, He is your hope. He is your only hope. 
And just as that message has always been, there were some who were persuaded by these things, and there were others who would not believe. It's always that way. There are people here this morning, some who probably do not really believe, and perhaps many who believe with all their hearts. There are some listening on the radio who are this way. And if Paul, I sometimes am discouraged when I have witnessed with all my heart to someone and they don't respond to the gospel. But then I, I remember if a person really knows Jesus as Lord, this comes through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not the preacher. It's not the preacher, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that convicts men of sin and enables and persuades them to embrace Jesus Christ. And a person may turn from the Holy Spirit, and these did. Some believed, but others did not. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word, his last parting word to them, was the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet, and he cites Isaiah, and that old and familiar passage to them, how that there were people who would keep on hearing, but not hear, and keep on seeing, but not see, how their eyes would be closed, and their ears would be deaf, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I should heal them. That's always the Lord. He wants them to be healed. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him. By the way, Paul must have preached about a whole day at, at one point here. If you think my sermons are long, uh, he pre uh, they're compressed uh, often uh, by Luke here in writing down what had taken place. But uh, the pre he kept on preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus with all openness unhindered. Now it sort of breaks off there. And that makes us know that the work of the preaching of the gospel is not finished. We don't know whether this piece of the scroll was broken or what happened. It ends very abruptly. But maybe it ends abruptly right there to tell us that we're supposed to be Acts 29. That we're supposed to keep on taking the gospel of Jesus Christ out and continue the work which this blessed Apostle Paul has done here. And so, what do we learn from what happened during those two years? Now, take your bulletin and look at that, and I'll show you why I had that printed in the bulletin. It's so that you would understand something of what happens. The plan and purposes of God are being worked out in spite of what has happened to Paul. This shows you, you see the Philippian uh, text that's printed in your bulletin. I think Philippians was written by Paul from his second imprisonment in Rome. It seems to many people that he must have served, uh, he must have waited there for 
about two years for his hearing, and perhaps the charges were dismissed against him in Rome, and that he was freed. Many scholars believe that during that period of freedom, he may have gone as far as Spain, because we know that was in his plans and he hoped to go there. At any rate, after the insane Nero had seen the city of Rome go up in flames, he had to find some scapegoat for that, and so he blamed it on the Christians. And having blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome, we believe that Paul was rearrested with Christians at that time. And the best tradition and information from that time seems to be that it was during this imprisonment that Paul wrote 2 Timothy, which is the last of the letters that came from him, and perhaps Philemon, and I think Philippians, because it's almost like the flip of a coin between Philippians and 2 Timothy to me, so I put both sides of the coin in the bulletin. But I look at peace with circumstances. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. These people back in Philippi, where he had gone teaching and preaching the gospel of Christ, remember there was a Roman soldier who was converted there, the jailer who kept him, Lydia, the seller of purple in whose house the church had met. And then there was that woman possessed of an oracular spirit, uh, a fortune teller, a slave girl. There were people back there who had gotten the word, now five years have gone by, that Paul is in prison in Rome. And they go to a lot of trouble to send to their old pastor uh, some money to assist him and to help him with his legal expenses and also to provide for his comfort. He is now Paul the aged who has been beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked, stoned. And yet look at what he says in verse 12. Not that I speak from want. He is thanking them for what they have done in sending help to him in Rome in prison. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. Boy, that would be worth coming to church for today, wouldn't it? To learn from Paul. How did you get it, Paul? I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know also how to live in prosperity. Wouldn't that be wonderful? In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and of going hungry, both of having abundance and of suffering need. Isn't that a wonderful testimony? In jail in Rome, he writes with such blessedness here that he is happy in the Lord. He is peaceful inside. And then verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The context means I can endure all things through him who strengthens me. I can endure whatever I have to through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction.
Christians ought to help one another. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. The people tonight at 5 o'clock will talk about the need of the hungry. He had gone to Jerusalem when he had been arrested to take food to relieve, to take money to buy food to relieve Jews who were being persecuted because they were hungry. Here he speaks of the matter of giving and receiving. None but you alone, this church back in, in Philippi had helped him. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. He uses the language of a CPA at this point. Uh, he uses the language of the ledger. Not that I seek the gift itself, but he said, you're going to be blessed. I seek for the profit which increases to your account. They are blessed in sharing with him in this ministry. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. And I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus. These names sometimes stumble us a little bit. But this is an elder, probably in the church back in, in Philippi. And he has brought them this gift of money. What you have sent is a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you have given it unto me. And when we give to the household of faith, that is especially true. And we should remember this. And then we can claim verse 19. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. My God shall supply all your needs. That's a great insurance policy right there, isn't it? I don't know a company that could write that one. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Do you see what's working here? God is working his own purposes out in spite of Nero, Paul doesn't tremble at Nero and all of the great power of Rome. He knows that God is at work here and that God is working his own purposes out and that his needs are being supplied and that their needs will be supplied too by the riches which are in Christ Jesus. And then he ascribes a great word of praise. And now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Read every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren who are with you, who are with me, greet you. And all the saints greet you. Now catch this, this phrase. Especially those of whose? Caesar's household. When you live such a life that your jailer gets converted, you must be living for the Lord. I think I've told you that Will Rogers said a man ought to live so good that the undertaker would be sorry to see him die. And here is, here is Paul. 
He is living such a life that his jailers are being converted. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was like that in Germany when he was imprisoned and martyred for the cause of Christ. What are we like when we're in the hospital or when we're in difficult circumstances? Do we have that anointing from the Spirit of God upon us, that presence and power of Jesus in our lives that's reaching out to other people? I saw a secretary one time in the White House in Washington, D.C., a blessed little secretary by the name of Mary Jo Cook from Dangerfield, Texas, who could type like the wind. And she was a brilliant secretary. One minute she would be talking to J. Edgar Hoover, the next minute was Secretary McNamara, the next minute was Secretary Rusk, all of the big people. Brilliant, sharp as she could be. One day she said to me, you know, there I met some other secretaries, and I think we could have a little prayer meeting group. Do you suppose you could get me something that would be helpful to use for devo devotional materials so that we could come to work 15 minutes early and pray? Now, they kept it out of the press because if you get that sort of thing in the press, the press knows less about religion than it knows about anything else. They couldn't name five of the Ten Commandments. They couldn't do what these children up here do, and they get paid a ton of money. Dan Rather sits up there every night. He came from the same little know-nothing school out in West Texas. Uh, these, these people are not all that brilliant when it comes to uh, matters of, of faith in God. They don't know these things like they should. And uh, they don't respect the authority and the inspiration of them. They haven't a clue because many of them don't yield to the Lord. I remember Bill Moyers telling me one day, he said, this is where the power is, and this is where the money is. And I said, well, Bill, money and power are one thing, but the Lord called me to do something else. I believe the power is with the Lord. I believe the power is with the Lord. And when we get our eyes off of Him as a nation, we're troubled. And that may be why with all that we've got, we're in such havoc today. The saints in Caesar's household. That means you can be a saint in a barracks, in an army camp. You can be a saint in a dormitory. You can be a saint living for God in very difficult places. You can honor Him if you're willing to be expendable. That is that his peace is with you in whatever circumstances you find yourself in. Now, good friends in life, we come to the close, and this is from Second Timothy, and you can almost hear the rattle of the chains and feel the dampness of the prison. Make every effort to come to me soon, he writes to Timothy, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmata. The ranks are thinning out now because it's becoming unpopular to be identified with a real believer. Only Luke is with me. Luke was his doctor, and Luke was his friend. And Luke writes this blessed Acts of the Apostles. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Mark had done wrong, but Paul takes him back and gives him another chance. Do you write people off and say, I'll never have anything to do with him again? 
If you do, then you're not right with the Lord. Paul got angry at Mark one time because he didn't do his job like he should have, but he gave him another chance. Tychicus, if I sent to Ephesus, when you come, bring the cloak. He's cold there in prison, which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, and especially the parchments. And then he has to name Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his evil deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first defense, no one supported me. This was some kind of preliminary hearing, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, that all the Gentiles, there we are with that burden to reach you and me, the Gentiles, might hear, and I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. And then again he greets his friends, Pris Priscilla and Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus. There's another man, an elder in the church back in Ephesus, and he greets him. Trophimus, one of his helpers, I left at Miletus uh, sick. Make every effort to come before winter. He knows that winter is coming and that if Timothy gets there in time, he has to move then. Tomorrow I have to go to a medical clinic in Philadelphia. And I hope that I get to see the Arch Street Presbyterian Church where Clarence McCartney preached that famous sermon, Come Before Winter, and the Jefferson Medical College where he went and gave it. And one student in that school, a young doctor, who had been intending to write his mother a letter but hadn't done it, went back to his room in the medical school and sat down and wrote a loving letter to his mother. And then when he went to the library to work, he was interrupted by another student who said, you have a telegram. And it was a message from his home that said, come home quickly, your mother is dying. And he made uh, as fast arrangements as he could to get the train to uh, his town in Pennsylvania. He was able to get there and he got home in time to see his mother before she passed into eternity. And then he noticed after her death that tucked under her pillow was a letter which he had written to her. And that letter had been in response to the sermon by Clarence McCartney to, that there are things which we must do while we have the opportunity to do them. And he had said, come before winter. And so we must be careful to that too. This morning when I saw these wonderful young people from Wheaton College coming into our church, I could not help but think of Hudson Armading, a man whom Donald Mitchell told me had the greatest personal integrity of any human being he'd ever known. I listened the other night to a tape by Hudson Armading. If you ever heard him speak, he is an absolutely brilliant man. He never has a scrap of paper. And he speaks from memory. He speaks right to the point. And he is very powerful. In 1961, he came back to Wheaton College as a professor. Godly man. 
He went on a picnic, and there was at that time a man who had been there just two years before whose name was Red Kramer. He was married, he had a wife, and he had five children. And Hudson Armading said that they went on a faculty picnic. You know how they do that at the first of the year. And he said he noticed that Red was uh, profusely perspiring, but it was a cool day. And he said, is something wrong? And he said, I don't feel very well. And then in the course of the day, he had to be taken to the hospital. Later, they told him that he had inoperable cancer. And then in January in 1962, a little more, not quite a year later, Red Kramer began to die. And Dr. Armitage said that he went to his house to visit him. And he said, I'll never forget how much I dreaded going into that room. And he said, when I walked into the room, there was a little two-year-old boy playing on the floor. And he said, I looked over at Red in great pain and weakness, and I thought he'll never see his little boy grow up. He'll never be able to teach all these students that he wanted to teach. He'll never be able to tell him about God's creation. And I thought it was all so unfair. And then he said, Red looked at me, and his lips were contorted and twisted in pain. And he said to me, Hudson, I'd rather be right here than any place else in the whole world because I belong to God, and he can do anything he wants to do with me. And Dr. Armitage said, I had read in a parable of Jesus where those who were paid late in the day got complained against by the others who said, we worked all day long, and yet you gave these who came in at the last minute as much as you gave us. And the Lord said, can't I do what I want to with my own? And he said, I thought of that passage of Scripture. Can I do what I want to with my own? And he said, I learned a lesson that was burned out in pain that I couldn't have learned any other way. Here you see lessons that are learned in a storm, lessons that are learned in a prison where friends help, lessons that are learned at the very end of life, which means that God is ruling over it all. Let us receive the benediction. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom be all glory, honor, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore.